Today, we dive into all things Pinterest, including how it differs from the other social platforms, the top mistakes bloggers make on it, and why Pinterest matters more than ever. Next on Make and Bacon. Hey there, I'm Jason Logson, and this is Make and Bacon. We're all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Today's episode is brought to you by my very own self-publishing 101 course. The average home cook owns almost 50 times more printed cookbooks than PDF cookbooks. So why are you limiting yourself? With the advent of print-on-demand companies like Amazon KDP and Ingram Spark, it's now easier than ever to become your own publisher. But if you don't know what you're doing, you can waste not only your time, but also your money. After publishing 15 cookbooks, including a top 10 cookbook on Amazon, I know publishing, especially self-publishing, and I want to share my expertise with you. This is where my video course comes in, stepping you through the entire self-publishing process so you can get your printed cookbook up on Amazon without making any mistakes. You can check that out at makethatbacon.com slash publish now. Now, on to the show. As bloggers, we are often told we need to be on Pinterest to maximize our blogs and our businesses. But with a constantly changing algorithm, the addition of new features, and updates to the core functionality, it can be really hard to stay up to date and know how to maximize what we do and spend our time on. Luckily, today's guest is the perfect person to help us out. She is the owner and founder of Simple Pin Media, a Pinterest management and marketing company. Through their work with over 700 Pinterest accounts, they take a data-driven approach to crafting a Pinterest strategy that aims to help their clients and students find their perfect person on Pinterest. She teaches thousands of people about Pinterest marketing through various speaking engagements and her podcast, The Simple Pin Podcast. I can't wait to learn from today's guest, the owner and founder of Simple Pin Media, Kate All. Kate, welcome to Making Bacon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to dive into all things Pinterest. It's something that I always love hearing about. But before we get started, I always like to ask, what is it like around your dinner table on a typical day? Mm, it's really chaotic. I have three kids, 12, 14, 15, two girls that are 14 and 15. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of emotions that happen too, <laughs> but we are big believers in being around the dinner table. And one of our consistent things is pows and wows of every day. So we go around every night and just talk about pows and wows. And I love that time of the evening. So even if we're having, you know, whatever we're throwing on the table, we're at least all five of us are sitting there. So what's the, uh, what's the pows and wows? So we talk about the hardest part of our day and the best part of our day. So a pow is the hard part. A wow is the good part. I like that. So you can kind of talk through the things that were tough, but also show gratitude and excitement for the things that went well. Exactly. It's great. And that's when they talk about things. All the other times they're either distracted by things. And so you finally get to hear what's hard for them. And we've even had some dinners where somebody starts bawling for no reason. And we're like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. So it definitely brings out all the feels. <laughs> I love that. It's a great way to keep up on what's going on. And I think showing the gratitude for the good is it's good yeah. to keep that in mind as well, especially these days. Yes, for sure. So when I start talking about a tool or a tactic with people, I always like to ask like, what goals is it good at helping you reach? Like a podcast can help you connect with your audience. Facebook group is great for, you know, establishing and growing a community, publishing a cookbook, like expands your brand or helps you make money. So what can Pinterest do to help us move our blogs or our businesses forward? Yeah, Pinterest is really very similar to Google. So it's a search and discovery network. So it does drive traffic. Now that is shifting a little bit in recent days, but that's its ultimate goal, not to be social, but more to help people 
complete their goals or try something new. And Pinterest really wants to be that place where you save things for later. So a lot of our audience members or people who follow me save things for later and then they click on it to then engage with us. So we look at it as not only a traffic driver, but also a way to get a totally cold audience, people who are not warm to you at all. They don't really know anything about you, but they're really interested in what recipe you have or tip and tool for cooking that you have. So someone specifically looking for a type of recipe and instead of going to Google, they might go to Pinterest because it's more of a visual search engine than Google. And they'll see a picture of yours that looks good and like save that for later or use it. Is that kind of the ultimate goal for a lot of, especially for a food blogger? Yeah, absolutely, because food bloggers have all these amazing recipes, and that's where people go to Pinterest 4.30, 5 o'clock, and they're like, what am I going to make? And they can put in a lot of different things and find recipes, and the images are key. Google, you know, just has text. You don't really know a whole lot about it, but if we can see more context or what the recipe looks like, that creates that connection with the person who's going to make it, and they also can say, do I even have these ingredients in my kitchen? So that visual recognition with it just creates that continued opportunity for people to click and come to your website. Are there any strategies for having some like types of images that connect more with people searching on Pinterest that might be, might be a little bit more effective than something that you would put on your blog that's like someone that's reading in the middle of the recipe might like this type of image where someone searching might like a different kind? Yeah, there's several varieties, and I think it goes back to what type of cook you are. So the person on Pinterest might be the 5-minute, 15-minute, 30-minute, four ingredients. They're looking for those things that are quick and easy. Or it might be the cook who's very boutique and they want to have all these crazy deep ingredients in your photography is kind of like dark and smoky and you know you have to go to Whole Foods to spend one million dollars <laughs> to make your recipe right so it all depends on what type of cook you are meaning that's the person you're going to engage with in your photography in your images and so when you go from that perspective then you get those people that actually will end up making it so ingredients is good in process shots are good too maybe even before and afters, maybe listing up or lining the ingredients on the counter and having that visual picture because people tend to know what's in their kitchen and they can make that connection really quickly, they'll make it. Or if they are the more adventurous cook and they see all of these different things, they're more willing to step into it and go on this journey with you. So the image all ties to what type of food blogger you are. That makes sense to so figure out, you know, based on what your niche is, make sure that your images are expressing that type of content and the type of person that you're really looking to connect with right then that, like you said, if they're an adventurous cook, then make sure that your shot is showing very clearly that it has, you know, butterfly leaves in it or whatever, like for the, the blue a tie plant that turns everything blue, make sure it's in there. So people go, Ooh, I've always wanted to do that. Now I'm going to do it. And if you're going for 15 minute meals, then you should make sure you're like, here's the three ingredients that are in here. You can glance and know that it's in your fridge right now. Exactly, because one of the things that the Pinterest user does is as they're scanning all the images on Pinterest, because they don't really read, they just look at the images and they look at the text that's on the images. Now, there's been a debate with food bloggers for a long time about whether or not to put text on their images or not, because some people spend so much time on their photography that they don't want to defile it, if you will. 
But for a lot of people, that's their only context to knowing what it is. So if you have a bowl of pasta, say it's mac and cheese, it could be vegan and gluten-free. But my first response is to see it as a regular mac and cheese. So the text on the image really gives context and makes those who are going to click click on it. And also another trick is that Pinterest does read the text on images. So it helps them know where to put these images and pins for the people who are searching around those topics. How much text is effective? I assume you don't want an entire blog post on the, the image obscuring it and no one would be able to read it anyway. Correct. Exactly. You don't want a lot. You really want just enough to give context or tease. I always tell people it's what you would be able to read if you're driving by a billboard in the car. So something that I know it's eight staple smoothies or five ingredient granola bars or something like that. You can even say something that gives it more context, like making sure you use gluten-free, vegan, or grain-free, because people can't see that with just the image. So I would say anywhere between three to five words, maybe even six words, but just make sure it's easy enough to read on a five inch screen. You're creating it on desktop and of course you have <laughs> all the room, right? But most people are thumbing by really quick and they are reading it on their phones. So you just have to remember that. Is it better to go horizontal or vertical these days with your images? Vertical, 100%. A still two to three ratio is what Pinterest wants. They've never really changed it. The only caveat they say to that is they don't want these giraffe images. So a lot of people were creating like 600 by 4,000 and they were like, cool your heels. So you can do 600 by 1260 and they say after 1260, it will get cut off, but they want to have discretion as to when they cut that off and on what device, whether it be a tablet or a phone. So. We tell people you're happy to go out of two to three, but just really make sure you know why you're doing it. And it's not so much an algorithm benefit, but really think of the user and how you're trying to communicate with them in an image. So someone clicks on your image or they save your image and they go back to it. How do you capture traffic from that image? What are some ways to kind of maximize that? Yeah, this is the tough part, especially when it comes to food bloggers, is what you'll see with Pinterest traffic is that it has a very high bounce rate because people are trying to look at four different recipes, five different recipes in the span of 10 minutes, right? So they're really trying to get that connection point. But I think one of the great ways is you make your recipe really easy to understand and you, cre you create a win and you don't know when that's going to be. And that's a little bit of the frustrating part is, you know, my mom is 74 three and she loves Pinterest. She's always trying different recipes and everything I hear from her is I tried this one. It didn't work or I tried this one and it was from this website. And now I want to follow everything this person does. So it's kind of these moments of how you connect with people through your food. And we just can't really put a algorithm or prediction model on that. It's just for you to keep creating with the user in mind, knowing who's going to make your meals. And that's really how it happens over time. You spend time on Pinterest, you get that connection. People a lot of times say that Pinterest is like more like Google, that it's more of a search engine, but do you need constant input into Pinterest to be continually adding new things? Or is it more like SEO where once you get the content out there, it will live forever? You know, it has a little bit of both. So it's a little bit of feed the beast 
mixed with things that are older. So once you get something that does pick up in the search algorithm on Pinterest, you tend to rise to the top and stay at the top. I know this for me and for several of our clients, pins that are three, four, and five years old still drive traffic because people are still clicking on it, getting engagement, reading, a lot of those same markers we see with Google and SEO. But we still have to feed the beast, if you will. So they do want new content because so much of Pinterest and their user habits are repins. People are recycling through new content all the time. So Pinterest does have this line they share with creators, which can be frustrating to hear, to say we want fresh content. And it's been very ambiguous as to what that means, but ultimately it's a new image and a new URL. So when you have a new post and you put that onto Pinterest, that's fresh content. And we have seen that those who do that at least once a week or even two or three times a month do better than those who are not creating new recipes and are just recycling through old content. So that's just something to note there. And so it's a little bit of Google, a little bit of feed the beast. Nice. Pinterest has gone through a lot of changes lately. People are continually talking about a change to this or a change to that new features. Old features seem to be removed occasionally. Can you talk a little bit about some of the important changes that have been going on that bloggers should be aware of? Yeah, so Pinterest went public. It's another public company in April of 2019. And then we had the pandemic on top of that and Pinterest saw this like power surge in users, right? And so through that time, what they tried to capitalize on is keeping people on the platform longer because the ecosystem of Pinterest is to have people move off. It's how their pinners are trained, right? Whereas Instagram, we're trained to stay in the platform and rarely move out. So as a result of that, Pinterest introduced first video was a big one. They really wanted video to be native. It's less than a minute 30. It's not long form, kind of those tasty style videos that we had on Facebook. And so they said, we want to lead with this. And we think if we can get more video views, people will stick around longer. And as a result, they say, there's a billion video views a day on Pinterest. So I would say that's number one is to repurpose some of your videos, shorten them and put them on Pinterest. They started to change that a little bit where it was a little bit harder to click on the video to get more information. So then now you have this frustration for users where they're like, hey, I got this teaser. I want to know more, right? Well, then they started to introduce story pins, which are now called idea pins. So they've had a long relationship with these of introducing them and having them link, removing them, introducing them, having them not link, and now changing the name. So <laughs> not confusing whole, at all, <laughs> not confusing at all. So the whole thing with idea pins is I think we're at a really a precipice of whether or not we're going to see them link pretty soon. I kind of think they will, but they're essentially telling a story, let's say about a recipe. So you're talking about the steps of a recipe. You're not really talking about you. Whereas on Instagram, you might be talking more about you creating the recipe. So Pinterest said, if we can have this thing called idea pins, then maybe we can keep people here longer and maybe we can draw in creators to create on our platform. Like we're seeing people create on TikTok or create on reels without a blog. I just think we're at this weird stage where Pinterest is having a hard time figuring out what its goals are. So really those new features of video and idea pins they're great and they are benefiting a lot of food bloggers, especially those who can repurpose to grow followers and grow direct traffic. But again, and we know that a lot of food bloggers are very frustrated by it because they don't link, but 
we've heard some rumblings. We've heard some phrases from Pinterest that say they don't link yet. So that gives us an indication that they might soon. Right, so something to keep uh, the, your eyes open for to see if they start adding those links in. Correct. And for a long time, I think, I feel like almost everyone that I knew at least was using Tailwind. And now, I, if I understand right, Pinterest has been adding a lot of their own kind of scheduling tools. Yeah, they have. So Pinterest added a native scheduler probably two, even three years ago. It's not very easy to use. It's very clunky, hard to keep track of. So a lot of people still use these third-party schedulers, which Pinterest approves. They extend their API to them and give them all access. We have things like Planoly, Buffer, Later, Tailwind, and they all have the great integration of also having Instagram, which I think was a great solution for a lot of food creators who were struggling between scheduling both. So Tailwind is still a great program to use, but we also endorse Planoly, and we've looked at later. Canva also has its own scheduling, but it is a little bit clunky too, where you can really only do one at a time. So we tell people if you're looking at a scheduling tool, make sure it's really productive for your time, very efficient, and really gets you to the goal of what you want. And a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to use a scheduling tool because I'm afraid it hurts my reach. Uh, we've been tracking this for a long time and we found that reach right now on Pinterest seems to be a little muddled anyway and not super accurate. So what we would say is really go first for getting new content onto the platform, evaluate what happens after three months and then make your decisions based on your data. You talked about reach. There's also, you know, repinning, there's, you know, getting traffic from it. What are the key metrics that I know can depend on your goals, but especially if you're trying to drive some traffic maybe, or start to grow your presence on Pinterest, what are some of these metrics that actually matter versus maybe the vanity metrics that aren't important, even though people talk about them? Yeah, I'll start with the vanity metrics. So we have this monthly view number that's on every profile and that's this collaborative number of impressions and profile visits and repins and saves and outbound clicks. It's kind of like this, everything into the kitchen sink and we stir it all around and that's how we get the number. But it doesn't really give us any actionable data to go off of. So we look at outbound clicks in Pinterest analytics and we look at clicks in Google analytics and then we look at saves because saves tell us the intent. Somebody might not have had time in that moment, but they plan to revisit it later and they found it valuable. And then we do look at follower growth a little bit more in the last year. And that's simply because we're seeing the follower growth number tied to idea pins, which is tied now to Pinterest sharing your content first with your followers. So it's kind of like prioritizing it there. So there is that element that hasn't been there before of more followers equals more exposure. So we are taking note of that. And then I would say, before we would say look at impressions, and that's really just people who saw your pin, but it's important to note that if I'm looking at the left side of the screen and your pin is on the right, you got an impression, but I didn't see it, right? So, and also it's really messed up right now. It doesn't make sense. We're seeing it all over the map. So we kind of put that aside for now and really focus on that outbound clicks, saves and followers as kind of our best guide, because then I can see, especially with outbound clicks, what action they took. And then I can follow up with them to buy my cookbook or get on my email list. It's where we can follow the path. Whereas impressions, it's really just a number and we don't really know what to do with it. I mean, I'm on 
you know, Instagram a lot and I am flipping through and just because, especially if I'm not paying too much attention, just because I didn't like something or click on it, didn't mean that it's not valuable. And I could see that with impressions that it's, someone's not making an actual judgment necessarily on your pin. They might've just missed it. You know, someone might've said something they looked up and it was gone, but it's, that makes sense, especially with saves, that that's something that you at least resonated enough that they, you know, decided that this is something I want to come back to later. And then, like you said, the outbound clicks that is driving traffic to your site and you're actually getting people there. Yeah, exactly. And, we, you know, one of the biggest things I, I would tell food bloggers to go back to is really figuring out why you're using Pinterest and how it's going to help you further your business. And those outbound clicks give you a lot of data as to where they're entering your house, so to speak. It could be through a side window or a back door and really meeting them where they're at. They might find some recipe that you created a year ago and you might find really ugly and you're like, I hate that recipe, but everybody loves it. So really go with the flow of what they're telling you by clicking on your recipes. And like you started off by saying, know who your audience is and what's drawing them in. I feel like outbound clicks is probably a great way to show that like, what do your images that get the most outbound clicks? What do they look like? What what type of things do they have in common that you might want to try to incorporate into future content? Exactly. It's a great content calendar. If you go into Pinterest Analytics, which has gotten better over the years, and you can select outbound clicks for overall pins, outbound clicks based on your boards, and then outbound clicks based on individual pins. Look for themes in that. See if there's, you know, basics or tutorials. I know for me, when we, we use Pinterest primarily to grow our email list. So what we found is that people click on save our how-tos how to upload video, how to keyword. It's always the how-to. It's not really this what to pin in August. They're not really interested in that. They're interested in me giving them the tools, right? So then we follow that path to say, okay, if they want to know how to clean up their Pinterest boards, we're going to give them a checklist for doing that. So it's just really thinking about how you can continue to recreate the content you know is already doing well. Spend about an hour once a month. Don't do it all the time, but go into your Pinterest analytics and just do some investigative work you can learn a lot about where people are saving your pins too, like what the titles of their boards are. So there's just so many great ideas, especially if you are a food blogger that's been doing it for 12 years and you're just like, I'm tap dry. I can only create so many more brownies, right? And twists on it. Go in and get some ideas from what people are saving and just let your creativity go from there. You talked about saving to boards. How important is it when we upload our own pins, our board structure, or the type of boards we put our own pins into? Yeah, great question, super important. So one of the things that Pinterest has stressed to us is your board name should be very clear and succinct and uh, very targeted. It shouldn't be something like best recipes, but it should be something like gluten-free breakfast recipes. And then if you pin your gluten-free banana muffins there, the algorithm goes, oh, this is gluten-free, has to do with breakfast. Susie over here has been searching gluten-free and she follows this person. We're going to put that in her home feed so she sees it. And then the people who don't follow you, Pinterest is also looking at that and saying, here's the gluten-free content that we need that so-and-so is interested in. Even though they don't follow you, we're going to put it into their feed because they're interested in it. So your board names are just so important. They shouldn't be broad. They shouldn't be lifestyle. You really aren't targeting the person's, you know, whatever they're doing 
um, in their backyard, right? They're, they're really not interested in that. They're just interested in your recipe. So we tell people, go through your boards if you haven't done it. Spend about an hour updating the names of your boards to really reflect what it is you talk about in very basic terms. Don't make it cutesy. Make it really specific. So basically use it as another indicator to the Pinterest algorithm that this is what all the content saved under here is actually about. Yes, correct. So I have a confession to make. I always talk to people, especially because I speak a lot of conferences and people are like, I don't know how people do it all. And I would say, no one does it all. None of the experts do it all. And so one of the things that I am horrible at is Pinterest. So I'm going to quiz you a little bit about some of the stuff of my situation to see how, you know, what type of benefits that, you know, I can get out of it because I've been told, you know, for a decade that I need to be on Pinterest. So I love having this conversation because I, I'm definitely not anti-Pinterest in any way. It's just one of those things that like, I, I've written 15 cookbooks. I have not pinned nearly as much, you know? So I've been very, I've been very like haphazard. So I have a website. Amazing Food Made Easy. It's been around for 12 years, has 4,000 articles on it. And I'm not putting out much new content. I'm spending a lot of time going through and re-updating all my old content. Is Pinterest still something that, you know, if I put in new images, if I put in new photos, even though it's on existing URLs, how much value does Pinterest give you from that? You know, it gives you good value because you've never put it on Pinterest before. So it's new to their platform. I'm sure people have saved it. If you searched your name or any of your recipes, I'm sure you would find that users are already saving for you. But I think it's still great for you to do that because it's never been there. It's an opportunity to connect with people over there. And Pinterest is looking for new content from the actual creator. So I definitely think it's worth it for you to invest in that. Even though it's older, I would probably encourage you to pin or to have some new things going forward after you kind of exhausted all the older options. And I'm always curious what someone can expect traffic wise from Pinterest. I mean, it's 1% of my traffic, so it's very, very low compared to 150 to 200,000, you know, Google visitors a month. What is something that someone can expect traffic wise going into, you know, utilizing Pinterest and how long of a ramp up does it kind of take to start really seeing the effects where you get into that kind of compounding state? Yeah, these are such great questions. And over the last eight years, we have hired data experts and tracked all of these things. And what we figured out is that it really depends on the keywords that you're targeting, the type of cook that you are also targeting on Pinterest as well, and then how often you're creating content. So we often tell people it's going to take you six to nine months to see ramp up because we see Pinterest as a slow burn. It's not really, it, it can take two to three months for something to get into the stream for people to save it, for Pinterest to see the activity of your content. So any of our clients who are really just ramping up, we say, let's give six to nine months. Now, when it comes to growth rate, that also goes into how much new content, how much new images, how much the investment is in the basics of Pinterest marketing. It depends on how quickly people can grow. We've seen people grow 125% in the first three months to 1500% in the first three months. Sometimes it's a little bit of a guessing game to see what is Pinterest going to pick up and how are people going to engage with it right away. And what we tell people too is that if you are 
if you're really broad in everything, like everything is a very standard recipe, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But if you're more targeted with a niche and it's just, you know, really on a grand, a smaller level, I guess, you have a greater opportunity for growth. But it has been, that has been probably one of the toughest questions of my industry that I've really been grappling with is what is a great growth rate? And truthfully, if you are established, it's anywhere between three and 5% um, right now, every six months to a year. Sometimes if we see 10% growth in a year, we'd say that's really good. Some of the factors, maybe like you, if you had been on Pinterest early on and then stopped, those growth rates are going to look different too. So it seems to be, there's a myriad of factors, but three to 5% is a good target in a year. I like that. I talked to so many experts on this podcast and at conferences and stuff. And I think the only thing everyone agrees on is like, you need a solid niche. Like everything will be yeah. easier with a niche. It doesn't matter from publishing to podcasting to any of the social media, like if you have a strong niche, you're going to grow faster. You have a, an audience in mind. You're going to be able to connect with them a lot better, a lot more quickly. And you'll probably grow as opposed to if you try not to limit yourself and go big. Yeah, exactly. 100%. That's what we see with a lot of our clients too, is that if you're very targeted and very specific, you have a greater chance of growth. And sometimes though, I do want to say that you might not grow as fast as somebody else, which is why it's really important not to compare your numbers. We look at it holistically to kind of get an idea of where Pinterest is at. But what we've seen is that some people can have big bumps at certain times per year, especially food bloggers see August to February, February 14th. It's kind of like their time to shine because you have all these holidays, you have lots of different things going on. You have a, a colder season where people are cooking more inside. And so if you're looking at somebody else in your industry and thinking they're growing so much faster, you never know why. And if their audience is connecting over a certain holiday, we see a lot of bumps at Thanksgiving and then tons of decrease in growth into Christmas. So that's why we really stress, look at your own numbers to really guide you as far as your growth rate, because then you're not going to get caught in the comparison trap and frustrated because you hear in a Facebook group that somebody has good, blah, 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 whatever, bazillion views on Pinterest, and then you get all stressed out. Just don't do that. I think that's also great advice for pretty much any market is look at your own yeah. stats, try to ignore the other people's because Someone's always going to be doing better, not always because of anything they're actually doing, and someone's going to be always doing worse. But we focus on the ones doing better because we like to beat ourselves up so much. A hundred percent, yes. So for an established site, you know, I have all these articles and stuff. Is it better to have a slow rollout that it's like, you know, X amount of posts and pins per week? Is it better kind of like SEO that you're like, if you have the content, get it out there because Google... We'll just start indexing it right away. What is a good strategy if you have, say, 500 high-quality pages with uh, photos that you're ready to get out there? Is that a week's worth of content or like four years' worth of content rolling it out? Right. It's such a great question. So number one, we want to go with you don't want to do it all at once. And you definitely don't want to do the same posts all at once because the user, it's just a bad user experience. Mm -hmm. So what we suggest to people is if you had 500, I would say start to drip out five per day onto the platform because Pinterest likes that consistency of per day, especially when it's new. And so you have the ability. What's great is you're not just pinning five new posts. There you go per day. 
but they can also go to other boards that if you are using something like a scheduling tool, you can drip it out 14 days. So it kind of, you have this effect of multiple things going out at once. So we tell people do it consistent, don't spam. And there's really no like magic number five, 10 or whatever. If you have 4,000, a lot of our clients who do have a lot of back content and a lot of good content going forward, they can sustain like 20 to 25 pins per day just because they have so much. But somebody between 100 and 500, I would tell them to stick right around five per day. And I'd say that I have about 500 high quality pieces of content still. There's a lot of older stuff that's not, especially photograph wise. I was not a food photographer when I got started <laughs> a decade ago. So my initial images, I, I know you said sometimes they might connect with people, but some of those need to be updated, I think, for sometimes sure. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. And one of the great things about what you just said is we always tell people start with the content that's already getting a lot of traffic, whether it's from Google or maybe you're even seeing that 1% of Pinterest. Start with those posts first because we know that somehow Pinterest is already indexing them somewhere on such some search term. So if we get that out there, they tend to do really well and get you a boost right away. And you're not starting with like your oldest, some people go with the oldest ones haven't had any attention. Don't do that. Start with the ones that have the most attention. And hopefully you're also doing occasional audits on your overall traffic to see what are your popular posts. And like you were saying, either collecting email addresses or coming up with actual offers or lead magnets for those pages. So that way you'd be driving traffic to places where you're probably already a little more ready to capture them than some places yes. that might not be getting traffic. Yep. There's a lot of suggestions and advice for Pinterest that's floating around out there. What's some that maybe bloggers shouldn't be paying attention to, and when they do, it might be a mistake that they're that they're making on their accounts. Yeah, so number one is gonna be, we still hear deleting pins as one. It was a, a myth and a rumor started in 2014, and it still seems to hold on, and people look at pins and they see, oh, they're not getting engagement, so I'm gonna delete them because it's hurting me. Don't do that. That's just a waste of time. I would say the other thing is focusing on the wrong metrics. What I was talking about earlier, over and over and over again, I get people coming to me saying, my impressions are low, Pinterest doesn't have a good ROI for me. And the great thing is, is not the great thing, but one of the hard things is, is figuring out what that ROI is for Pinterest. And what we find is that most people actually don't know what that is for them. They don't, and what's interesting to me is people are spending, you know, 15 hours a week on Instagram and have an evaluated ROI, but maybe they can spend three hours a week on Pinterest and their ROI for their goals is greater. So I would say that is the biggest mistake I see is this kind of flippant throw around ROI without digging in to say, how much time did I spend? How much expenses for my tools? And then what really is my goal for Pinterest to establish the ROI? And I think that's probably the biggest, that's the frustrating thing for me as a teacher of Pinterest marketing and that I wanna help people with because I think Pinterest is still a great, great tool and it's really helpful, especially for food bloggers and I just think I see them so caught up in monthly viewers or impressions, and those aren't really great data points to figure out ROI. As a teacher as well, like that was why I started this off with what are the goals that Pinterest can help you move forward? Because like you said, without knowing those, it's hard to evaluate what social media platform or what tool or strategy or tactic is going to move you forward if you don't know where you're actually trying to go and how to measure it in some ways. 
Yeah, exactly. And knowing why you're using each platform, right? Like they, they have different goals. And even when talking with somebody yesterday, Instagram is great for connecting with brands and getting sponsors and connecting with your people who make your recipes just a little bit more. But Google and Pinterest are great for driving traffic. And I know that it's frustrating for some people these days to see the traffic decrease. But I will say another factor is with COVID, food bloggers experienced a massive rise. Like, I mean, the sourdough bread kick and all these other <laughs> bread without yeast, like they saw this surge that was unlike anything we'd ever seen before with quadrupling of traffic. And so now that we're on the other side of that, now that we're on the, hopefully cross our fingers, on the other side of the pandemic, you're seeing those um, numbers decrease. So when you look at your numbers, especially if you've been a food blogger for a long time, you really need to go back to 2019 as a quote unquote normal year to normalize your numbers, to look at, I'm just down from 2020. Well, everybody <laughs> is because Pinterest was the only thing we had to do. Right? We're not we're locked in our inside. house. <laughs> I know. So I think that's another thing too, that it's not difficult either. I see a lot of people who get worried about, they're like, I'm not into data. I'm not either, but I can definitely <laughs> go into my Google analytics and do some comparison and move my calendar out to get a better perspective. So again, spend an hour and do that. And I think that will allay your fears of you're not doing well enough. And maybe you're just in a course correction mode. So if someone's interested in learning more about Pinterest, they might be interested in getting some help involved. Can you talk a little bit about the services and the, the programs you provide? Yeah, so at simplepinmedia.com, we have a ton of free resources and we have the podcast, blog posts, and our goal is to stay as up to date as we possibly can to kind of also, I guess, decode what Pinterest says into regular terms and actionable. <laughs> so we have that, that's all free. And then we have two memberships. One is our collective, which is our basic Pinterest marketing membership to help you really coach you through this. That's where I do a lot of the coaching. And then we have an ads membership because people want to figure out promoted pins, which is their ads platform that's called our society. So it's specifically dedicated to people who want to figure out Pinterest ads. And then we have our services, which elevate that into doing organic management, organic consults too as well. People just want to hire us for an hour and then paid consults for the paid ads too as well. So we kind of have multiple layers for every budget point. You can check out all of that at simplepinmedia.com. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise. I learned a lot. I might need to get in touch with you and talk about ways we might be able to work together so I could finally stop telling every Pinterest expert that I am not really on Pinterest and embarrassing myself. But as my listeners know, I I'll find other ways to embarrass myself. So it's all right. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And this has been Making Bacon. We're all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Until next time, I'm Jason Logston.